Welcome to the latest episode of the Transfer News Central podcast. I'm Johnny Bentley, your host, and once again, I'm joined by James. Hello, James. Good to be here again. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's slightly different circumstances to last time, uh, because now we're in the midst of coronavirus or COVID-19. I thought I'd left that when I uh, jumped across the world from China and uh, came to the UK. But of course, as is the case with most you know, flu-like symptoms and epidemics, they'll find their way around the world eventually. And now we're finding it uh, affecting our lives at the moment. I mean, we've had Italy that's basically gone into lockdown. China, of course, was in lockdown. And, you know, in terms of sporting events, various European leagues are taking action. La Liga playing games behind closed doors. I think Liga playing games behind closed doors. Serie A has suspended games till early in April. And as of yet, the Premier League haven't done anything, but it looks like they will be playing games behind closed doors soon, at least, sooner rather than later. I'm not sure whether this weekend's games will fall into uh, that behind closed doors territory. We might get one more week, actually, of business as usual. But, I mean, this there's been a lot of scary stories, James, surrounding this, and I think um, mm. I think we're, we're right to take it seriously, if, even if it isn't quite a zombie apocalypse like you know some people make out. But with regards to the, how how would you approach um, the current situation re- with regards to the English football fixtures? I mean, what do you do? Well, I've read a lot of things around this, and I think it's I think it's important to note today that three Leicester players uh, yep. are now. Yep. Having tested for coronavirus, um, we've had Chelsea did not train today because there was a concern that one of their players may have been exposed. So now mm-hmm. all the Chelsea players are being tested, and the, the Chelsea training ground is being, you know, kind of exhumed, cleaned, whatever, extremely kind of disinfected kind of thing. So there's concern very hygienic with them as well. Uh, and there was another issue with Arsenal, I think, the other day. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I think and... they, they they went to Olympiacos, didn't they? And the, the Olympiacos, an Olympiacos representative, it might have been the chairman, I'm not sure, had um, symptoms of the coronavirus and shook hands with some up, some, yeah. some members of the Arsenal squad. Yes, that's right. That's right. So mm-hmm. there's that as well. It's getting to the point where where you're going to have to where you're going to have to just stop it because somebody is going to either a Premier League player is going to get it or a uh, a coach or you know, a member of the backroom staff, whatever, is going to get it, mm-hmm. and then you know that, and then you're going, then you don't know how many people they were they were infected because you can carry around the virus for quite some time without getting any symptoms. So you know, and we've had games in the last two weeks where people, other people, would have got infected if they've met these people who might be infected. So mm-hmm. it's very difficult to carry on playing when that's happening. I think. Yeah. I don't. I mean, obviously there are a lot of inconveniences with postponing the season or cancelling the season um but if it's necessary then you have to do it because because i mean some of these clubs probably have people who are quite who are older on their staff and these are the people who are vulnerable mm. there's probably people on the staff who are who are in, fall into the vulnerable category mm. relatives who do and so it's you've got to be you've got to take precautions and i absolutely do think we should not panic. Yeah, panic I agree. I agree. I agree. I think you need to stay calm. You need to stay rational. You need to take the proper precautions, and that's 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 the appropriate response. But I think I don't think it's panicking to. I mean, playing football behind closed doors. Yeah, I, that's a that's a positive thing in terms of combating the virus. But there's a lot of I don't there's a lot of things I don't like about that. In that first, it's the football's not the same without. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine I, Liverpool winning the league title? <laughs> supporters in the stadium. I mean, yeah. it doesn't, no, I, I, it doesn't yeah. make sense. Can you imagine the FA Cup final being played yeah, with no supporters in the stadium? It doesn't make any well, sense. I, 
I wrote an article about this actually recently, James, and I was going to prompt you. You're going in the direction, so that's good. But I'll, I'll sort of do a follow-up with this in that I, was, I wrote an article on this, and I think it's almost efficiency versus authenticity. I mean, the most efficient thing to do in this situation is to play games behind closed doors, business as usual, without anyone turning up, but they'll at least stick to the schedule roughly and play out the rest of the season. That's the efficiency element. But then the authenticity element is the sense that, you know, football is... is, is the sport that's made by the fans who go and watch every you know every game that their team plays they make these you know bustling um venues of atmosphere and then we're changing those bustling venues of atmosphere essentially to mausoleums uh, you know where you can hear you you can hear every it, it, i mean i was I, I caught highlights of the psg dortmund game yesterday and i know man united and, and wolves are also in action today and it was behind closed doors and it was it was really odd really odd and you just don't uh, even if you're watching on the television regardless of if you're watching in, in in the stadiums themselves like many of us do it's still so weird and so odd and it feels it feels like the soul's been sapped out of of a game you know the beautiful game yeah, that so many of us not, love it's not the same and i mean it's like it was like watching i mean i, I watch um, under 23 matches sometimes mm. and the crowds at uh, those games are almost non-existent you know it's quite quiet yeah. and literally i was watching i just was watching a bit of the man united game Europa, Europa game that's playing right now mm-hmm. and, and I was like this is just like you can hear one person shouting you know <laughs> you know mm-hmm. any, any even small noise you're gonna you're hearing it and it's like and he's and I think Igalo scored a great goal and there was no well, watch it you know I mean and it, it just kind of did kind of what's the point I mean if you like in a cup final with no 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 supporters who do you lift the trophy to when you win the, when you lift the trophy uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know yeah, it's yeah. just weird it doesn't make any any sense and it doesn't devalue the trophy itself but it no. it's, it just it's almost like not the point and and not only that but with with these big games the fans are gonna fans are gathering outside stadiums yep I was just going to say, I've got it. I was. Yes. It doesn't actually make much difference if you if you play with with an empty stadium because people are still going to gather, which is kind of defeats the object of, of it in the first place. So yeah, and it is annoying because I'm a football fan and I want to watch football and mm-hmm. I want to watch my team apart from anything else. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, well, it's but, funny you mentioned, James, just before you go on, yesterday in the PSG Dortmund game, PSG won 2-0, went through to the next stage of the Champions League. If there is a next stage, I'm sure uh, they'll be finding a way to to make sure that there is UEFA. But um, the fans of PSG were gathered in the thousands outside the stadium. And actually, uh, Kazawa, the left back, decided to uh, join in the celebrations, which, you know, is why they're condemned for because of, you know, lacking any sense of common sense, you know, in many ways. Yeah. You, Massive, massive amounts of gathering outside. Kazawa goes to join in the celebrations, potentially gets a, a, some kind of coronavirus symptoms, and then takes it into the PSG camp. I mean, to be fair to Kazawa, I mean it, it, it's the first time they got past the last 16 phase, I think. So there was an element of we've passed a milestone, hooray, hurrah. But at the same time, common sense should have applied. But like you say, James, I mean, you know, the, the, that's one example already of uh, gathering on mass outside of the uh, outside of the stadium, uh, like they have. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, obviously that was a big game, and, and the fans were cheering on the team, well, cheering on the wall because they couldn't see the game, but uh, <laughs> they were there, in, they were there in mass. Yeah, but I was thinking actually, yeah. I, yeah, I was, I was just thinking, it, they, they say that this decision's for the, let's play games behind closed doors, it's for the good of the supporters, but while it is for the health, good for the health of the supporters, I mean, this decision's really for the big 
businesses and corporations, isn't it, that have invested a lot of money in their rights. If suddenly they said, actually, we're going to scrap the games, then suddenly they say, whoa, we're, we're losing out on what, what a lot of what we invested in. You might play it at a different time, sure. But again, how in, in the big companies, man, they want it to be business as usual. This is the Premier League season. They have their own scheduled games at scheduled time for a reason. So it's going to be very... Um, it's not, it's not going to be very convenient for them, is it? Uh, if the Premier League season football on Sky Sports, well, yeah. a game on Sky Sports with nobody in the stadium, isn't it? I mean, mm. it's, it's going to be bizarre. It's yeah, like, it's absolutely. Like a pre-season game or like a behind closed doors friendly kind of like you know mm. you see in pre-season. It's yeah. Not a competitive game, which is big stakes. Um, it, it's did you be... see the Did you see the Cheltenham races? The people Cheltenham. Madness, thousands and thousands and thousands. And honestly, you know, I, th- I do think even if we said, you know, if, if we didn't ban the, from the stadiums, you'd still get and you'd give all the health warnings in the world, you'd still get, wouldn't you? Thousands of people still going into the stadiums because they say, oh, it's just, you know, I, I, if we keep hygiene, they will not listen, will they? Unless there's a ban, football fans are football fans, they will still go until they cannot possibly go, they will still go to follow their team everywhere. There's a guy, yeah. Then you've got the pubs as well. Pubs. Exactly, yeah. People forget about that. Nobody's even talked about that. Everyone goes mm. to football in pubs, right? So you get, mm-hmm. so you're getting yeah. people in pubs, and of course, mm-hmm. what happens then? People are like, yeah, that's another big bunch of people in the same place, which is what they're trying to avoid. So, you... well, apparently they're, they're thinking of. There was a rumor I heard. I'm not sure how they managed to do this, but the government with someone said that there was an idea that we're going to subsidise uh, pubs. We're going to take off broadcasts of games in pubs. What have broadcasts of games? And then subsidise this expected revenue that they take in which just wouldn't work i don't think in the in the slices you can't do that anyway that, this, this is what i mean yeah 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 i mean there's a, i mean you we talk just about businesses in general that will be affected by this like you say the amount of revenue pubs must get for big football games it, it's probably their peak of the week and you know that's gonna that's gonna be drastically hit if suddenly they, they can't show, show streams in pubs like as was sort of mooted again the for me i do think that i could i wouldn't want it to happen but i could see suspending it thinking about sort of the consequences of scheduling after that's the to me that's more sensible than this but i can also see the point of from the big business's point of view from lots of business point of view and from the, the point of scheduling in general i think they'll try their best to do it behind closed doors but i just worry that if we play i don't know the, ne- the next how many we we have left behind closed doors you know as we get to the end of that it's going to feel like a chore isn't it to watch yeah, just keep other... watching until the end well the other thing is that it's looking like euro 2020 will be yep will be postponed to 2021, mm-hmm. which actually makes a lot of sense because you can move mm-hmm. the whole thing and it doesn't change. The tournament could still happen and go ahead as it as it as it was because in 18 months' time it will be hopefully it won't be as severe as it is now and it will there will be a vaccine and so you'll be able to have events like that. So that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense, but mm-hmm. that means that you've got the whole of June, which is going to be kind of free. So if you say you postpone the season for a month, then you can still finish the season like mid. Mid June. Yeah, I uh, thought this too. Yeah, and you'd, you'd still have a, a gap between seasons, and also mm-hmm. the players would get a rest anyway because if the if the season's suspended for a month, they're getting a month off. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> they can know, go to the pub. So you know, it's not like uh, they're not going to get a rest. So yeah. Yeah. It, no, I agree with you actually. I do think that 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 could. I think 
the, the likelihood is that Euro 2021 being a full tournament as it is, I think that, sorry, I'm, I'm, already, I'm already ahead of you. It's like I've got, I, I'm not embargoed, don't worry. Uh, I'm sure that Euro 2020 being a full tournament like it is will probably get put into Euro 2021. It'll probably be sharing almost with the women's Euro 2021, uh, which has a lot of expectancy as a tournament on it. And maybe actually that could benefit the women's European Championships if it is on the back of the men's European Championships. But in a similar way to, I suppose, when the Paralympics comes off the Olympics and people still have that desire to watch yeah, sports. Exactly, yeah. Sports Especially if England do well, you know, and people yeah. all like, oh, let's watch England do well in the, in the women's one as well. Exactly, yeah. Because the World Cup built up all that interest in the women's game, which is which yeah. is really great. So yeah, yeah, it's evaporated. Well, it's not the interest hasn't evaporated. The performances slightly have. I mean, you know, Phil Neville's got some questions to answer now after a bit of a disappointing. Yeah. She believes Cup, which is a shame. You know, he, he talked with it when, when, when I saw him at, uh, at Wembley last month and he was talking to everyone. He seemed so optimistic, but he did seem transfixed. On the best team in the world in the in the women's uh, in the women's game, which which is undoubtedly the United States. You got the likes of Mega Rapino uh, and Co, who are just so obsessed with winning. They're just used to winning all the time. They are colossus force. And Phil Neville was so determined to knock them off the perch. It seems like he's sort of maybe losing some kind of momentum that he already had as he was building up. You know, I mean, he came in as a novice manager. I mean, he hadn't managed. He got him probably on reputation of playing in. It, status in the men's game and he's he's getting questions to answer now because as he chases greatness he's maybe he's trying to jump a step too big because the USA are a phenomenal team and as he as he gets obsessed with not being quite good enough he's re he's slowly slipping away from what he did have which was a team that were playing quite progressive football and, and um, had a really good World Cup like you say he does have a good relationship with his players notoriously but you know sometimes should you just be focusing on regaining that momentum maybe not being too obsessed with the best exactly yeah focus on yourself <laughs> This is what I always tell fans, other fans uh, of my club and of other clubs. Like, don't worry about what other people are doing. Focus on yourself. Build a team that that you believe in and that are playing a way that playing the kind of football that you want to play that can be successful. Don't don't think about what everyone else is doing. Focus on yourself and do what you do the best you can, mm -hmm. and then see what happens. That's what the successful teams do. And I think we're going to allude to this in a minute, talking about. Yep. The Champions League, but um, you you need to build, you need to do have a philosophy which which is successful at the end of the day. Especially if you're getting into club football, especially if you don't have as big a budget as other clubs, mm -hmm. you need to find a way to win that that works for you and which mm -hmm. doesn't require such a big budget. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. your club Burnley is a prime yep. example of that. Sean Dyche is a very successful manager. He does mm -hmm. a great job with Burnley every year to on the budget they have to keep them up and to keep them in the top half of the table most years is phenomenal. It's never been more true than with national teams either, is it? Because with national teams, you don't, you can't bring players in. You've got to rely on the squad that you've got. And I mean, there was a lot of promise because Beth England was in good scoring, goal scoring form. Ellen White actually got England's only goal of the tournament, and she was a she was a striker who was on fire for England in the past, and she's a she knows where the back of the net is. Beth England fantastic in the WSL, but maybe not translated through to the national team just yet. But again, it, it's a strange one, I suppose. One big thing for Phil ne what, what Phil Neville's had in his favour is I feel like his presence because he was quite he was a well-known player played at the highest level also quite a well-known pundit he got quite a lot of punditry appearances in it for the BBC and, and, and other network his uh, you know most people knew who he was in comparison to maybe if they'd have hired and I mean this with the most respect uh, a, a qualified coach in the women's game isn't going to get the same sort of recognition from a mainstream audience as Phil Neville would a lot of a lot of football fans general football fans would know who Phil Neville was so he's got that role and he and I think that's sort of it's fair to say that because when 
the women's when the women played in the World Cup, they generated a lot of interest. Obviously, the the performances did, of course, as well. But also in the friendlies that followed that, they still had. I think they had a record attendance at Wembley against two one loss to Germany. They had a record attendance for a, a women's uh, football game held in England. Um, so mm. the viewing figures were quite high, I think, across uh, the BBC when, when when England were performing. And obviously, that's a lot down to the rises we've seen in the women's game. But I do think that Phil Neville, as the sort of poster person for you know the figurehead for the women's national team, I do think that helped a little bit because it's getting male followers of football who haven't necessarily watched too much female football having a bit more of an interest I guess and yeah and you're having a lot more people interested in, in women's club football as well yeah. uh, and even players top players top women's players are coming to England and playing mm. in England I mean like Sean mm-hmm. Kerr and, and um, I think there's, there's a lot of top players who are coming to coming to play in England which is really great and it's really great that I mean, I'm, I'm really one of the things I'm really excited about in the game in the last mm-hmm. few years is, is the rise of the women's game because it's a because I said it before, it's about time. Um, yeah. You know, it's, and it's great to see, and it's refreshing, and it's, it's how it should be. And yeah. hopefully it continues. Well, 10 years ago, as I say, the WSL really wasn't... It, it was nothing. It was... It, it, it was it was being sort of pushed up and developed uh, by the women's FA and now we're at a stage well it was called the women's super league now it's been acronized to the WSL and it's got a real you know it's got a real brand now and um i believe that they were on course for a deal that would be um you know economically far superior a, te- a television deal economically far superior to anything they've ever had um, i was reading somewhere and that's a, again that's only going to help bring in these top players get get better uh, facilities across the grassroots, get better coaching for, for the ladies out there. Exactly, yeah. um, and it's, well, uh, Nadine Kessler, uh, ex-Ballon d'Or winner, was at Wembley last month when I was there, and she was saying, in the past three years, the changes have been momentous. And what she wants to do as, as a key figure in the women's UEFA board is to not make to make sure it's not just the elite clubs that benefit but also she wants to be inspiring a generation because it's easy a lot of boys are brought up in that kind of football rightly or wrongly the stereotypically a lot of boys are pushed into circles of sporting field like football and girls are sort of shoved into kind of netball that's I've seen it throughout my throughout me growing up but now we're getting to the stage where you know it's actually a viable a much more viable and mainstream option for girls to uh, get involved in football because the facilities are there, because the coaching's there, uh, because the opportunities are there. And um, you know, under under uh, Kessler and UEFA and the and the, and the women's organisations across Europe, they really want to push that forward and they see actually Euro 2021 as a good opportunity to to keep pushing forward with that journey for a better standard of football across the whole. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think you put it brilliantly. Um... Mm. Thank you, James. It makes a change. <laughs> don't usually, uh, not usually that uh, fluid, especially seeing as I come from near Burnley. Usually, I uh, get my words lost in a translation, but that's very nice of you to say. But on the topic of, um, on the topic of, uh, you, you sort of alluded to it before that uh, on the Champions League Europa League front. I was just sort of, I say before the show, in this country, and I know many people like this football fans have this kind of oh, I, I, I don't want to sound I don't want to I'm not insulting anyone but they have a lot of people have this idea that the Premier League's this untouched entity that, that, that is better than everything that, that surrounds it whether that be in Italy Spain or Germany we've got the best league best players the best managers we are the best product across uh, the whole product we are the best of the best and that's the mentality that a lot of people sort of have and uh, last season well to be fair last season I mean we did, we did quite well in, in Europe with two champions 
Champions League finalists and uh, two Europa League finalists. So we did remarkably well. But I always think the margins are so fine. And I always think it's yeah. arrogant to us to sort of think, oh, you know, we're untouchable now. We've got four teams in the two finals that can't get better than that. We can't. I think you have to but, learn over a number of years. Mm, I think, yeah. Like in the, I mean, in the 2000s, you could legitimately say that the, the yep. English teams were the best in Europe because you had uh, Liverpool win the Champions League, Man United won the Champions mm-hmm. League, Chelsea got to the Champions League final against Manchester United, Chelsea got to a series of the Champions League semi finals and probably deserved to win more than they did. Man United got to two Champions League finals, Liverpool got to two Champions League finals. So, and and and, but, and generally, English teams were competitive in the Champions League to the final stages almost every year. Uh, I mean, the 2000s really were fantastic. Now, that's not the case. I mean, last year, yes, we had a really good year, but mm-hmm. they had to sustain that. And Liverpool got to the Champions League final the year before that as well, yep. to be fair. But it's got to be sustained and it's got to be by all clubs um, mm-hmm. over a number of years to really say you're the best team uh, or the best league in Europe. Um, and it's, it's difficult to say right now who the best league in Europe is because, no. because I mean, the Spanish league has got basically two teams um, mm-hmm. alternating winning it. Uh, you know, it's not, and you've got Atletico Madrid as well who are a good side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, the Italian league has got more competitive this year. Because you've got three teams who can win the league this year. You've got Juventus, um, Inter and, and Lazio having a phenomenal season. Um, but normally it's been Juventus who've won every league for the last eight years. So that, that's not... You can't say the level of the, and of the Italian league is that high. The French league is basically PSG <laughs> and everyone else. Um, the Dutch league isn't, that, isn't, isn't of the highest level, even though they... Ajax had a great year last year. Bundesliga's had a good year this year. Which is the best league in Europe right now? Because I don't think there is a best league in Europe right now. I think, I mean, in this season, this season hasn't even been competitive in the Premier League. I mean, yeah. Liverpool will run away with it. You know, I mean, last the last last year was was very good because you had Liverpool and Manchester City both very close together, and either of them could have won it. Um, it really was very close, and both of them probably could you could argue deserve to win it because they both got they got 97, 98 points. So which would be, you know Liverpool getting 97 points would have won the league any other year. So I think the, th- the thing is that the Premier League in general has just got I think this season I said it at the start of the season this is the weakest Premier League we've seen in a long time, and I think I think it's been proven because you've got. You know, Liverpool, as we say, running away with it now out in the Champions League. Again, that's just a bit, you know, fine margins thing. But Manchester City have regressed because they probably couldn't sustain the levels they had done without a bit of an overhaul in terms of the squad. Then you've got Arsenal that's regressed massively because the poor, I suppose, a a poor collective uh, relationship between board, transfers, manager players it just just all collapsed really um you've got uh, tottenham that's fallen off a cliff because again short-sighted daniel levy didn't think that there was much need for a transfer overhaul in the summer spoiler there was and yeah, pochettino they spent 130 was gone. million though tottenham they spent 130 million who, who did they spend 100 they got end on belly in <laughs> Yeah, they got, they got Dembele and they got... I don't remember who else they bought. No, I'm sure it was just Dembele. I'm sure it was. I checked I checked a, website, a, a, a transfer website and I'm sure that it was £130 million, But they, they bought Berkwood. They bought Berkwood as well. Oh, yeah, no. Including those, yeah. I mean, Lo Celso was a loan deal, wasn't he? And it, But that, if Lo Celso... But, yeah, of course, that could have been what you mean because I think yeah, 55 plus 60, yeah. Yeah, OK. Lo Celso so, bought Berkwood and they bought uh, Dembele. Yeah. Obviously, this is in January, though, isn't it? So they made themselves a permanent in yeah, January. It's, it's, yeah, fine. Well, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're essentially chasing uh, a little bit what they should have really done in the summer. Although the Celso, they've, they've had since the summer, you know, I think they, again, probably... Well, the Celso replaced Ericsson, didn't they? 
really. Yeah, they, they bought yeah, it and left pretty much. They paid yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. United, Manchester United, just going on what you were talking about, Man United spent spent over 200 million this year. And See, that's funny, actually. Man United last season were awful, and this season they're slightly better than that because those <laughs> signings that they've made, no, the signings that they've made, of every one of them has actually benefited the team. wan has no, been excellent. has been good. Come off. Yeah. And Daniel James has been okay. He's not been... Uh, but I don't, I don't think anyone expected Daniel James to set the world on fire, and he's done okay. He's just, been, you know... That's he, actually the one they signed in January. Honestly. Brina Fernandez have been superb. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Shane, I mentioned of course United, I think. Well, it's definitely been a massive, big player for them. I think. No, yeah. United look. Uh, other United look like they. You know, I, I, we, we talk about Solskjaer, and I've, I mentioned this last time that he, he did remarkably well with absolutely nothing in terms of midfield creativity. Kept them with within the top four race. Bruno Fernandez coming in. I was reading recently. Paul Pogba is now thinking, oh, I might want to sign a new deal. But then I was reading that they might get a hundred thousand pound more a week, so three hundred thousand to four hundred thousand. I mean, and actually, the, the consensus from United fans was yes, get it done, get it done. Which I get because he is, you know, they've not had a world, a genuinely world class outfield player. I don't think in a while, and Pogba is. Um, you know, he is. I would say, apart from Kevin De Bruyne, on form, he's the second best. He's the best midfielder in in the Premier League because uh, he can do phenomenal things with football. But I do get the sense that even though, even though, even though I I think if if Solskjaer can, well, Solskjaer's never really not had him on side. To be fair, he's been injured for a while, and usually under Solskjaer, he's played quite well. If Solskjaer got the got the the Paul Pogba out of him that we can we, we have seen the one that played for France in the World Cup and and was the man of the match in the World Cup final if 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 Solskjaer got that out of him then I don't think they need to chase a Jack Grealish or a, or a James Madison or whoever because you know Paul Pogba's better than all of those on form and yeah. they have Bruno Fernandes and they could make a big push for Jadon Sancho and then you know I said they only needed two signings in the summer. Last the last podcast that was another impression for Pogba left. Pogba left and then they'd replace him and then they get Sancho in and then this and then the summer after they could then focus on another two signings. They seem to be working on the basis of one or two or three big signings. Not like Man City, they were a bit slower. They seem to get they got one or two in the summer. They got Bruno Fernandez now and they, they might I think they'll probably stick with that same policy of getting one or two in again. If they get Pogba, they could get Sancho and maybe fill another gap which I had down last summer like maybe centre back or 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 a, or a big striker or another left back to challenge Shaw maybe even though Williams is doing well now so I think they're in a really good place actually James I think they are I think they are I've been impressed actually by what they've done and um, their recruitment yeah they, they, they deserve a lot of credit for that and I think Solskjaer's been the one pushing that mm-hmm. uh, the, the model that he has is bringing um, talented players mainly younger younger talented players look at Matic now as well and build them around the, like a core of academy players. They've got like Greenwood, Rashford, who are academy, who came through the academy. They've got they already had a, a few core players there who 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 could have been good in, in the right team. You know they had. I mean Luke Shaw's. A, I think Luke Shaw's a good left back. David this day is a, is a top class keeper, and um and he's got the best out of Fred. He's t- somehow made him look a good player. Matic has got and a Matic, yeah. Um, so you've got you've got to give Solskjaer credit. You know they're in a good place. Yeah, you're right. But but this year they haven't been. They haven't been in the top four, or they haven't been. A, they haven't been. No. A, they haven't. Um, and they haven't brought anywhere near the uh, the top two. So, uh, yeah. so like, look, going back to the point we were making about how strong the league is, it's you know they haven't been as strong as they should be. They they will be stronger next year. Mm. Um, and then Leicester have been hugely impressive, but will they be able to sustain it if the season continues? Mm. You know, and will they be able to sustain it next season? 
Well, they don't have, they've got to have to recruit well with a limited budget again because they're not going to yeah. have the budget of Manchester United or Chelsea or mm-hmm. Manchester City. You know, they're not going to have the same money to spend that they have. So no. they're going to have to recruit well again and not and make sure they keep most of their players. Because... To be fair to Leicester, though, they do have an excellent record in the transfer market don't they, they? i mean no, i do I'm, I'm absolutely that's why i would not write them off next season at all i think they did um if they continue with this record of uh, recruiting well then there's no there's every chance they could keep doing well next season um you know i, I wouldn't write that off at all um no no like i say i just think i just think the standard has slipped a little bit and 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 the margins are fine when you we talk about actually the best league in the world and whatnot that we will get back to that now we talk about it i don't necessarily see it like there's an outright winner anyway. I just think it's ignorant of us to suddenly imagine, not us, but you know what I mean, people who big followers of the Premier League, just to think that there's no life outside the Premier League. And if there is, then, you know, the Premier League still far superior to it. And we, we've been shown that. We've been shown that for a lot of years, really. I mean, last season we were excellent, really. But even in those games, the, the consensus really is Ajax outplayed Tottenham, you know, and, and obviously... Fell, fell on the sword and, and lost at the end. Uh, Liverpool's miraculous uh, comeback against Barcelona as well. Again, it's it's fine margins. Barcelona could have had four or five in that first game had they taken the chances. What I mean is that it's the same. We, we then come back to the Liverpool-Atletico and you see all these people saying, oh, but Atletico, you know, uh, they played anti-football, Liverpool were lucky and everything. But, these, you know, these things. If an English team does this, we're lauding them as as geniuses and finding a way to beat, you know, the 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 the, the passing football of the foreign team. So it, it is double standards, I think, in many ways. What I what I think is we should look at all the foreign leagues in, in kind of a res- we should have a we should have a general respect towards them all because the Bundesliga for atmosphere. Whenever you watch it, you can you can feel it almost even through the television set. You feel the booming atmosphere at, at those stadiums. They really do generate an atmosphere across the board, and their uh, the way they treat their fans is unrivaled. I think really ridiculously cheap season tickets, free public transport, certain games, free beers at Bayern Munich sometimes, depending on the occasion. I mean, they do a remarkable fan service job, and and, and you know, we 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 label them a one team league, which is fair, I suppose, given that Bayern have won quite a few in the over the past decade. But they're a lot more than just that one team league, the Bundesliga. There's a lot to like about it. There's a lot to like with La Liga. There's a lot to like with the Italian league. If you, if you uh, watch these leagues in more in more depth, you'll realise, as I say, that you could argue the Premier League's almost got this. It's such a brand now that it loses a bit of its heart and a bit of its soul. Yeah, you're right. You know, I just, yeah, it's um, it, it's, it's one of those. It's you know, I, yeah, yeah, and um, and and obviously it's still an amazing product, but the, again, it, I, I I think it's just I think this 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 past these past few weeks under the Champions League and the Europa League and whatnot even with Olympiacos beating Arsenal have just given everyone a reminder hang on there is life outside of this of English football there is something we can look at we can take some lessons from this we can respect different styles of play and I say different styles of play obviously we're talking about this just before uh, Klopp laid into Diego Simeone saying you know he's got so many good players uh, why does he have to play this style it, it, it seems wrong that he's playing this style and winning but it doesn't matter does it I mean when Chelsea Drew with Burnley 2-2 in Maurizio, in I think Maurizio Sarri's year in charge. Uh, David Luiz came out and said, oh, uh, they just played anti-football. They didn't want to play. It's a disgrace to football. I actually remember as well when Chelsea played against Barcelona in the Champions League quite a while ago. I think Roberto Di Matteo's Champions League success. They yeah, went to the new yeah. camp. And Fernando Torres, it was it was euphoria when Fernando Torres round of Valdez had scored. But Barcelona absolutely hammered Chelsea in terms I, of... I, I remember terms that of, Barcelona had almost... I think it was about 80% possession yeah. 
or yeah. something like that, and they created endless chances. They had a penalty yeah. that they missed. I, yeah. mean, I mean, I remember that game because we were, we had Chelsea were two 0 down after twenty minutes and down to ten men, and most yeah. Chelsea fans were like, "Well, this is all over. Um, yeah. we'll give up now." <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. we scored at half time. Ramirez, Ramirez did he with a no, chip. That, that's, I mean, I mean that 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 Champions League campaign was incredible, but yeah. uh, for Chelsea fans anyway. But um, but yeah, they they, they they did they did it by playing by basically ten men behind the ball. Yeah, well, yeah, like, yeah Torres' goal was basically a counter attack. You know, like like he was the only player that was going forward. Like all the other players were right around the penalty area. Like literally nine, ten men behind the ball, and then Torres making that forward run. And it was a long well, keep, ball from Ashley Cole that and Torres scored that goal. It was it was defensive football. They did it in the final as well. They did it in yeah. the final as well because because they didn't have the players that. Oh. Opposition had no, you know, but, but we labelled that uh, that we said that was genius, didn't we? We we would have said that was I think yeah. Mateo got hailed as a mastermind. A tactical club masterclass, yeah. And yeah. Jose Mourinho's done that for years at all the different clubs he's yeah. done, where, yeah. where he's put, where he's set a team up to to win a game. That's why he's mm. won so many cup finals because you can set mm. up a team to win a particular game, and mm. often that often that is when uh, he puts ten men behind the ball and hits on the counter attack. Mm. You know, he soaks up the pressure, has about twenty percent possession, scores with all scores with their only chances that they have on goal. That's how he's won a lot of football matches and how he's won a lot of finals. But uh, there's a skill in that as well, isn't there? There's a skill in that because again, that's one of the hardest things. It's I not think. easy to do that. Uh, no. It's it, it, it. People say, oh, anyone can do that. Michael Owen tweeted today. Anyone yeah. can do that. They can't. You need, you need intelligent players who who, fo- who follow instructions and stay in their positions and actually do a job. Um, mm. it's, it's not easy to do that. And yeah. if and, and when when you get quality players doing it, it, it can be quite effective because because they can be quite clinical on you know when they attack and take their chances. So yeah, and there's and Simeone, Diego Simeone's done that for years mm. and he's been really successful. He's won. Europa leagues. He's won league titles. He's got to the Champions League final. He's won, I think, Spanish cups as well. He's been consistently in the top three or four in in the Spanish league. Mm. Sometimes he's been second, I think, as well. Um, Title so, winner one uh, season. Yeah, he won it one season. Yeah, so you can, so you can, you can't say that it doesn't work because it does. And if that's, and like I was saying before, if that's the way that works for you and it fits with your players. And it wins you games and it wins you trophies. Then why would you want to change it? You know because because yeah, it works. <laughs> yeah, no. The, the only the only I I have this theory that supporters say they care about good football and ideally they would like good football and trophies. But if you but if you say if you I mean the the, the feeling of winning trophies outweighs the kind of over the season oh this is boring to watch. Well, if For you, most if people, you yeah. actually win a trophy, you don't care anymore. Because you've won the trophy, and the you know the exhilaration you feel like winning a cup or winning a um, or winning a league title, you know, you, you, at the end of the day, you don't actually care. I mean, I don't care how Chelsea won the Champions League. We won no. it. That doesn't matter. It's eight years later, and I don't care how we won it. I care that we won it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. No, it's so, yeah. It's, it, at the end so, of the day, it's results that matter. I mean, I'm I'm a personally a guy that would like likes to see progressive attacking football and win trophies, but not one or the other. But no. if I have to choose between them, I'd probably choose trophies because I like to win trophies. Mm. I enjoy, I know what it's like to win trophies, and I enjoyed it, the, the experience of winning it. So yeah, as well. And you think you think um, you know this Liverpool team praised themselves on playing really good, exciting football, and they have actually for most of the season. Yeah. But but they they they're going to win one trophy this season, one 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 big trophy of the four, you know, and then. You, you, 
then there's going to be the argument, oh, they've, they've done really well. Oh, their class is a great team. I mean, Man City last season won the domestic treble. The season before that, they won a domestic double and got 100 points. If they, I mean, Liverpool fans aren't going to care. They're going to win the league. And, well, if they, if it's not suspended uh, beforehand, they will win the league. And they'll be happy with that. They'd have taken it before the start of the season. But they can't be classed as a great team, surely, can they? Because Man United won the treble, not domestic treble. They won it with the Champions League. They won, I think they won the... the, the, the we did the, the double or the treble in 2007 8 yeah, as well. But they're not. The best the Premier League champions that I've seen, there's three mm. teams that always come, there were four teams that come to mind. Um, first is the treble, the treble team, obviously. Mm. Man United mm-hmm. treble team, that was a great team. Then there's the Arsenal Invincibles. Yeah. Know. That was phenomenal, phenomenal achievement to go through a whole season unbeaten. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the Jose Mourinho Chelsea 05. Uh, 2005 and 2006 team was mm-hmm. incredible um, mm-hmm. as well. Got record numbers of points at the time. I think 90. We got 186 points in two seasons. You know, so that's 95. That's, I think James was. Got, got 95 one season, 91 the next season. So yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah. that was a great team as well. And then the Manchester City side of Pep Guardiola was 100 points. Yeah. Was yeah phenomenal as well. So. Um, Liverpool side now is a really great side. I'm not sure it, it quite is at that is at the level of those teams. No. In if it, if it if they go and win the league title next year and they win the Champions League again, then they can start mm-hmm. to say that you've got to do it. It's not you can't just do it in one season. One season is yeah. not what makes a great team. Well, the great team wins it again and again and again. Like the, the, the great teams in the Premier League have won it back to back mostly. I mean, Arsenal were the exception to that because the because of the Invincibles, you know, which is a one-off thing that probably won't be repeated. But overall, the, the great teams win it again and again and again. Uh, so Liverpool need to do that if they want to be considered a great side. And I still think this, a lot of this Liverpool is, is the best side ever it comes from pundits in the media who are excellent yeah. players. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, oh, it's our first title for 30 years, so they're the best team ever. Yeah. Yeah. It, sounds really, it, sounds, it does sound like we're sort of... Because uh, I, I have a lot of friends who are Everton fans, and they, the thought of Liverpool winning this title is too much for them to bear. So they are now praying for the um, season to be suspended and restarted uh, next <laughs> season, which, which would be... I have to admit, if that did happen, somewhat hilarious, um, it, uh, but also awful at the same time because they have done fantastically well, Liverpool. I don't think it will happen, by the way. But um, if if it did, I mean, you, as an as an opposing fan who doesn't really care about who wins the title, uh, being a Burnley fan, I mean, I'm, uh, it would be absolutely you couldn't make it up, could you? If that genuinely did happen, and some Liverpool fans are genuinely worried that it might happen. I've, I've seen a few well, people tweet. Why don't you say that? Because I'm just reading this story that um, the the German leagues. The Top two Germany's are considering ending the season after match day 26 with no trophy and no relegation. Teams that are by the European places would qualify, uh, and the league would expand to 22 teams next season. So that's and I I thought that wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, Except the end would be that Liverpool wouldn't win the league. no, no, it would be, be honest, madness, I think most teams in the Premier League would ex- would would allow Liverpool to be given the title, given that they're twenty what twenty two points ahead, something like that. You know, I mean, they're not going to get caught. I think uh, Man United be, fans may have something to say. Um, well, <laughs> yeah. maybe Manchester City fans too, actually. Yeah. Uh, you uh, know, I, uh, I, but, I, I, they only need three wins to to win the league, so it's not. It, I think it would be unfair to, to not give them the title at this point. Um, no, I know. He's not a fan of Liverpool, really. No, <laughs> no, no. 
but uh, it would be it would be it would be quite something definitely yeah i mean but yeah just back to that just back to the argument though again about different styles of play when he different when he goes to football i mean we, you you sort of summed it up perfectly you know Jose Mourinho did it in the past and i think with guardiola coming over to england actually and Klopp, both people who kind of like a very attacking brand of football i think it almost got people under the illusion that the other kind of football was dying out but again it's not necessarily is it because i think didier deschamps won the um won the French would the World Cup with the French national team playing pragmatically. He, he had Pogba, Mbappe, so, yeah. Giroud, Grise. Well, Giroud being in the squad, tell, being in the team, being in the eleven every game tells you that yeah. they had a focal point up front. Who was the hold up man with with Mbappe yeah. and Griezmann coming Pogba. in behind him? You know, like it was it was um and it was effective. It won. You know, he, I mean, you won the World Cup. You can't say, oh yeah, but he didn't win it playing good football, so it doesn't yeah. count. It does. He won it. <laughs> like, yeah. um, you know, and I think I to a lot of younger fans I speak to who have got this idealised dream about good football and that, it's, that winning in the other way is bad. Yeah. And it's yeah, like, yeah. it's not if you, I mean, like, do you, like, I mean, and a lot of these fans are probably fans of big teams and they don't realise what it's like to not win something. Like, I do. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if Burnley won a trophy now. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't care about the football. They just no, they won a trophy, no. you know, <laughs> because. Well, I was talking. To um, the the Andre Bloem, who's uh, done this podcast as well with me, he was saying that from his point of view, he's also he's a big Inter fan and he loves the kind of Antonio Conte style of football because even though it's not tippy tappy kind of passing football that that we've become accustomed to, he says it feels like a good, honest, gritty, determined side that's gonna you know it gets the it gets the crowd sort of rouse, it gets it gets everyone on their on the edge of their seat, it gets everyone sort of cheering every tackle, full blooded, you know. He knows that they're leaving essentially every ounce of energy on the field because they're running around like madmen. They're closing down. They're throwing in tackles. They're kicking the balls on. They're being competitive. They're being physical. And although it's different in a, in a, in a style to what to what other teams have, um, I guess that when you do play that style and you, and you do appeal with the fans, it, it kind of resonates with the fans a little bit because a lot of those people maybe work hard in their own jobs and come on and they're you know to support the team. They want to see their team throw their bodies on the line, compete physically. Sometimes that sense of adrenaline and testosterone is, is just what the fans ordered is it not exactly yeah and especially a fan of, of uh, i suppose i hate to say smaller clubs but not which don't have the big budgets of the of the top clubs and which don't have the luxury of having quality players to play the, that kind of football yeah it's it's and who've not won that like it's like yeah, we want to want to want to go up and see you see you fight for the shirt. We want to see you fight for against all the odds, try and win games. I think that's, that's I think I think fans want to see that. I think fans want to see that anyway. I think fans mm. always want to see their players show up and work, effort in, and and you know, leave nothing out on the pitch. But uh, there is something but about they'll... throwing a hard tackle in that makes you think, oh, you know, yeah. they really mean it, don't they? They really, yeah. you, you know, it rouses the crowd. It changes the atmosphere in the stadium. Tackle like that. Mm. Sometimes it can change a game, even like it just because it, it whips up the fans. Sometimes, yeah. Um, I remember Martin Keown saying that <laughs> when Roy Keane got sent off in the FA Cup final, uh, semi final in 1999, he knew that Arsenal were going to lose just because he knew the effect it would have on the players, Imagine and, that, yeah. the players. Yeah. Um, and the, also the fans in the stadium as well. Because, mm. and, and that's that's an amazing thing when you think that. 
his team were quite a strong team in their own right, and uh, and they were they had they had a man more. And he said, "Oh, well, you got a penalty," and I knew we were going to miss it because I just I just knew because it, because no, something changes when 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 one when, when these kind of events happen, the mood changes and the, something psychologically happens. It, it's 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 really incredible. Yeah, psychology is really really an interesting thing in football. I mean, Zach Lowy tweeted uh, he he was on the TSE podcast not long ago. Did what did a few with me? Shout out to Zach. He's uh, he said that when when Liverpool lost the first leg against Barcelona 3-0 he said Barcelona could have scored a fourth goal and Liverpool would have gone to Anfield and won 5-0 no, he said it was he said they they had psychologically they knew they had they they had the sort of mentality of whatever happens in this first leg however bad it gets the Anfield under the lights we will win. I mean how depleted they were at the time they, he said that psychologically he always felt that and they he felt that they would always feel that they would climb whatever mountain they had set for themselves. So again, it is re- it's sort of similar to what you were saying then, because again, a man like you'd think, oh, this is going to, you know, play into Arsenal's hands. But again, psychologically, it rouses the entire team. Yeah, you know, exactly. I felt that in the Champions League final in 2012, because Chelsea were literally under the cost for the whole game, got yeah. an equaliser, and then by me to get a penalty in, in added on time, in extra time, and miss it, and it's an ex-Chelsea player that misses it. And uh, yeah, it's Robin, wasn't it, Robin? Yeah, it was Robin as well. Exactly. So I had I had friends of mine who support different clubs, like telling me like you're definitely going to win it now. There's, yeah, there's, 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 it's just just written in the stars you're going to win this. It's just like and you and I think a lot of the players afterwards said that they had that they had that feeling in their minds that that, that was psychologically you know that we, we we're going to win this somehow you know it doesn't matter there's nothing they can do we're going to we're going to win this somehow um and it's, yeah. it's strange psychology in football is a really interesting topic actually no it, it really is um and and all and all this idea of momentum it's not usually not always built in the ways that we necessarily think it will be just before we go actually we could we could have i think we could sort of talk on a few uh situa- few potential situations perhaps um at, we were talking actually a bit before about Paul Pogba and the Man United, but you know I don't think I ever got whether you thought that Paul Pogba should whether if if Paul Pogba was going to sign a new deal at four hundred thousand, would that be a good move for the club or or not? I I, mm, I don't know. I think I mean I, when Paul Pogba is at his best, he is a great player. No, I want to say that. Yeah, there's absolutely about that. There's no doubt about that. But there's something for me that I just feel like he is too much trouble than he's worth. Um, he's got a massive ego, and no manager has been able to tame it. I doubt very much Solskjaer would be able to tame it. Deschamps has maybe for yeah. France. I don't think you know he was excellent in the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. He's a great player. If he could play like that every week consistently, then keep him. Yeah, but he's still he's never played like that every week for Manchester United. Ever since he's gone there, um, I've not seen that consistently from him at all. And getting paid that much as well, the wage structure again cause, can cause problems there. So I don't think he's irreplaceable. I, I really don't in terms of what he's delivered for them. I think to be fair though, it's a big risk because there's no guarantee he'll perform like that every week because he hasn't done it much for them. He's barely played this year, for example. I mean, I know some of that's because of injury, but uh, I don't think it's just because of injury. I think there's other things going on behind the scenes, but that's my opinion. Um, so it depends. Like I mean, I know I'm thinking like Alex, Alex Ferguson would would sell him. Would sell yeah, him. no, he would. He, he would sell him. He would sell him and buy somebody else who was talented but was had a better attitude. Yeah, really. And that I think that's what I would do. You, I mean, you're going to get a lot of money from him if you sell him. So yeah. you can put that money. You can spend it on one player who would probably do as good a job um, and would have a better mentality. 
So the only the only thing that's saying Pogba, I've leaned to, to be honest. Yeah, the other things I'd say in Pogba's defence are he has a you know Mina Rail is a, a loud agent in the same way in the same way Dimitri Salut was very loud for Yaya Toure. Mina Raiola is he's a celebrity himself. He makes a lot of wild statements, uh, and Pogba's brother uh, Florentino makes quite a lot of wild statements. And his ex-manager Jose Mourinho likes to speak loudly in the media. So. There's a lot of loud voices around him, and I guess, uh, you know, I do think sometimes maybe that's been, uh, we associate all of them with Pogba, and maybe he's become a little bit too much an enemy, uh, illustrated as an enemy by by segments of the media, because when you look at Pogba's lifestyle, he doesn't drink, he doesn't do the party lifestyle, he's all, you know, when he goes to training, he usually trains quite hard, and Solskjaer himself said he trains quite hard when, he, when, when he's there, and his head's focused, uh, but when you've got all these other quite big personalities are surrounding him then it's no wonder I suppose that he, he maybe he gets a little bit tied up in all of this and maybe gets a bit um, ahead of himself at times a- again the Pogba himself what you can't you can't think of many times I don't think off the top of your head where Pogba's made a, a wild st- I mean it's, this isn't Ibrahimovic where who, who who comes up with a new quote every week I don't think Pogba's necessarily himself come out and said these wild I want to do this I want to do that I want to do that. I mean even Gareth Bale as, who, who the Britain idolise, many in Brit, many in Britain idolise as a lovely guy and a great guy, has come out and done more public gestures to dis, to to showcase his discontent at Real Madrid than Pogba ever has at United. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah, but again, it's, it's going to be an interesting one in the summer. That one, I think. Yeah, Pogba. I mean, if if it, 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 it's if they sign him up and bring Sancho in, then they've got. Another, they, they could go and target another player and and use the efforts to get Grealish on board on, on someone else. Like I say, in a, in a position of where up where they could where they could strengthen. Also, I, again, we we sort of touched on defensive midfield, but then with Matic likely to sign a new extension to his contract, then again that might that can maybe delay that the need for that for another season or so. And also Fred, like you say, has done really well in that position. He's performed well, and I and I do think there's there's method in maybe if they can't get a, maybe a big hitter striker like they might want to because they're circling after other players, then getting Igalo on another one-year contract may make sense because he's done really well at the moment. And there was a lot of snobbery around that deal as well. A lot of people saying, oh, why are they going for Igalo? I think Gary Neville even said it for Sky Sports. But stripping it back and everything, and that's kind of what Solskjaer's done with his squad. He's, he's improved on players' weaknesses, improved and got them playing individually a lot of players better. He's brought Igalo in and his base stats are he can hold the ball up, he's relatively skillful, and he, but he also, differently to m- many of his other strikers at United has uh, experience at making the right runs in the box and scoring goals and that's ba- that's just a basic stats board a basic facts board of what Igalo brings it has brought him in and it shouldn't really be a surprise that he's made an impact should it no I mean I'm I'm I'm, gen- I'm genuinely impressed with Manchester United I, I, I yeah I was concerned about the running of the club and you know, especially the Ed Woodward he's I don't like him particularly. I think he's yeah. a, he's a football person. I think he's been one of the reasons things have got so messed up at Manchester United, and I don't think it's going to be fully sorted out until they shift the emphasis there. But Villegas Solskjaer has come in, and he's like, right, this is the this is the core, this is the kind of player we want, this is the kind of team we want, this is you know, and and let's go for these kind of players specifically. And they've gone for, they've gone for players, and they've got them, and. All of them have improved. Improved them. Maguire has improved them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wambasaka has improved them. Fernandez has improved them. Igalo's even had an impact. Yeah. Uh, so you and Daniel James has had a, had an impact, although obviously not been sensational, but he's had an impact. So 
they're building something which is really positive. Man United fans should be feeling good about the future because I also could, because they know that Ole Gunnar whatever you say about him as a manager, he not he cares about Manchester United and he wants the best for Manchester United and he will not do anything that damages Manchester United. He will whatever he does will be in the best interest of the club uh, rather than himself. So that's yeah. a, really, a really good thing for them as well. So um, yeah, I think they can be positive. You know, um, just on a little side but, note though, James, when they lost to Burnley two 0 the the Ali Out Brigade were out in quite a significant force, and a lot were saying, "Look, his time's up now." You know, they lost two 0 to Burnley, struggling to build momentum in terms of winning a few games. They haven't actually lost a game since since then. Uh, yeah, United. Well, I think Solskjaer's probably got his job for next season now. Yeah. This run yeah. together is, is probably enough. Even if they don't make the Champions League, I think... Yeah. Well, the shadow of Pochettino was, has been hanging over his head ever since he left Spurs, hasn't it? That's really what's put that's the it. pressure that's on. A big, that's still, and it will. I mean, every time he comes under pressure and Pochettino is out of a job, mm-hmm. his name's going to come up. Because Pochettino yeah. is interested in Manchester United, you know, and he's a good manager. Um, yeah. He's a proven top manager, so you, so it's gonna, it's that pressure's gonna be there. And if Solskjaer had another bad run, say next mm-hmm. season they have a bad run again, yeah, then yeah, the pressure would be on again. So um, because because of the expectation there, and because uh, they're not as stable in terms of managers as they used to be. So there's, I mean, there's not even a guarantee that if he doesn't make Champions League that he'll keep his job, because every time they failed to qualify for the Champions League, they sacked their manager in recent mm-hmm. years. Um, pretty yeah. much. So yeah, we'll see what happens with Manchester United. But it's but I think it's a bit more positive than it was a year ago. That's for sure. Mm, sure, yeah. Uh, making small steps in the right direction. And just a final word that we talked about Mauricio Pochettino just then. Uh, if he doesn't go to Man United, is there any possible uh, vacancy that you think he might um, end up at? Well, anywhere. I don't know. There's talk of Zidane leaving Real Madrid. Uh, there was rumours about him going to Juventus, actually. I think he'd be quite suited to Borussia Dortmund as well. Uh, I, I was going to say, actually, yeah. I think I think the management there is having a bit of... I don't like Lucien Favre very much, I think. I think, I think there's been problems with him as well. I think they may... Mm. He fell out with Sancho, didn't he, as well? Yeah, uh, I think it would be a good fit for them, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think he could win the league, German League with them, actually. Mm. Um, because he's very good at developing young players. He's very good at... Working with young players, they've got a lot of young talent. They're very good at recruitment. Um, mm-hmm. uh, even if they lose Sancho, you know they'll find somebody else. Um, yep. They've got Haaland anyway, probably, for next season. Yep. And yep. he's phenomenal. So, yeah, that would be a good fit. Um, but I don't think Bayern Munich are going to change their coach, and if they did, it wouldn't be Pochettino. Yeah, Hansi Flick doing remarkable. It, essentially, the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer effect. He's come in as a sort of rookie yeah. manager and he's doing remarkably well. Yeah, I don't know about Juventus. If Juventus changed their coach, it probably wouldn't be Pochettino. If I mean Manchester City, if Pep Guardiola left Manchester City, I think Pochettino. I think would be it, it depends to how. It depends how the situation is. I think if it was a two-year ban, I think he'd be reluctant to go because again, he. he but he could win the but you but he also could build something. Um, he could still win the Premier League, couldn't he? I mean, and they've got a great academy as well. So I mean, he's the perfect guy to get the most out of their academy. Um, That's true. I, I think he's a very good. Yeah. I mean, Phil Foden would probably thrive under Pochettino. That's uh, very true. So that okay. I mean that would be another possibility, I guess. But I can't see any other clubs in England. You no. Know, Less, less Man United did sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or moved no, to I don't that, think that, they will do. Not right now. Well, no, I don't think they will. So it's difficult to say where he'll end up. To be honest, Newcastle. <laughs> I think he no, wants to go to a big club next. I think he wants. Yeah. It's a proper yeah. big club next, not a not just a kind of club who want to be a big a big club mm. like Spurs, you know, like a project. I think he will want to go mm-hmm. somewhere where he can start winning straight away. 
Um, so, yeah. and he doesn't need to rush either. No, no. Um, he can take his time. So he's got enough money in the bank. He doesn't need to worry about finding a job. So yeah, I think he, I think he's in, a, he's in a good position because any big job that comes up and is gonna, he's gonna get linked because because uh, of his reputation. So yeah, that's gonna be an interesting one to watch. It is, and I think, yeah, I, I'd put if I had, if I thought of his preferred destination or my preferred destination, Poch, I'd probably say Dortmund right now because of the things that we were just uh, alluded to. But anyway, I think that's uh, a good wrap-up point uh, amid uh, podcast amid uh, troubling times with this with this virus going on at the moment. But hopefully, I'm not not particularly confident. But hopefully, in the coming weeks, uh, there's there's a bit more um, there's a bit more joy to be had on on the podcast front. Again, not particularly convinced, but you, you, you've got to live the dream. Uh, so, uh, from me, yeah, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone, from me and James, and uh, we'll see you again next time.